Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Waffle Press Retrospective, Avatar Legend of the Last Retrospective. I'm your host, Diego Crespo. With me today is my co-host, Matt Garingo. Booyah. Yeah. boomerang Wait a minute. Um, remind me. Like, you know, remember on the Teen Titans cartoon, Cyborg always said Booyah? Mm-hmm. Didn't they make him say that in the Justice League movie? They did, and that might be a point of controversy that we don't have time to get into. <laughs> I was just thinking about it. Yeah. Nothing's really come from that. This is, we're, we're still in July for the people in the future listening to this in the world where the United States is now split into four different nations. <laughs> uh, but there was, there was, that happened a little, like two weeks ago. And oh yeah, fuck, it, it feels like both away. longer and shorter than it was. I know, but it, it kind of just like went away. Uh, not in according to Ray Fisher's Instagram and Twitter posts. Oh really, is he still yeah. on it? I, 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 I'm pretty sure, like, I don't, I, I, we don't know what happened, but I definitely am more willing to believe him now that more people seem to be following his lead not in 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 the situation specifically but like you know just uh accountability over entertainment i'm seeing that go around a lot and so I, you know I that's wonder, good that, that's a good message to send at least yeah well i just wonder what was the thing that finally gave him the confidence to say that the snyder cut happening i guess i, I guess know. but it's it's weird you know that's pretty it's kind of ballsy on his part which i respect yeah, yeah, because he, you know, that movie, like, wasn't a hit, and his career didn't really go anywhere, and now it kind of has the opportunity to again. That's that's cool. Yeah, I, would, I wouldn't count on that. <laughs> you know what would I, be I might perfect? just cut that little snippet there. <laughs> you know what would be perfect? No, no, leave it in. You know what would be okay. perfect? If all right, all right. They, but... they filmed the Snyder Cut, right? Mm-hmm. But by the time they're ready to release it, HBO Max has died. Because of lack of subscribers. So now they have this full movie and they don't know what to do with it. No, no. You know what's going to happen? All the different branches of HBO are going to be folded into HBO Max. Because that's kind of what's been happening already. Like, some Roku devices aren't playing. Like, the other HBOs now, you need HBO Max. And it's it's weird. Yeah, but I still don't think it's going to... I think... I don't know. There's a good chance HBO Max might not work. Well, I that's say, what happens when you have, like, several different tiers all called HBO. It's, yeah, these fucking yeah. people. Anyways, Although I, was the, having a, I had a conversation with a friend yesterday, and they didn't, like, this, you know, I, I can't really blame them, but they didn't understand. Like, I was like, yeah, you know, like, all the movie studios are owned by, like, four companies. Mm-hmm. And he was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and I had to explain to him, and I was like, well, AT&T owns... Time Warner, you know, and which I now now I believe like they've split up a little bit where it's like Warner Media and AT and T or something. And then I was like, Viacom owns CBS, uh, Comcast owns Universal, and then there's the Walt Disney Company, and they were like, oh, I didn't know that. And sometimes you're just amazed what like other people don't know. <laughs> mm. It's concerning, Diego. It, it is very concerning. And speaking of things people might not know, is uh, on this show we go over five episodes every 
episode of this podcast of Avatar The Last Airbender. It's been working out pretty well, so we're probably just going to continue that in Season 2. Season 3, I think, also. But again, we're going to play some of this by ear because some of the episodes are broken up um, in uh, odd capacities that I, I just want to make sure we, we touch all like the part ones and part twos together. Uh, and thankfully the end of season one makes that a lot easier for us. So today's episodes, we'll be talking about chapter 16, the deserter chapter 17, the Northern air temple chapter 18, 19, 20, the water bending master and siege of the North part one and two. Uh, I kind of combined those last three cause they are all kind of like one story and uh, it, it's we'll get there. We'll get there. It's it's clear why they're fan favorites. Is all I'll say. But first up, chapter sixteen, the deserter. Uh, and again, on this podcast, we are also presuming that you just watch the episodes along with us, and you're ready to talk about the episodes um, as if you had just seen them. So we're not going to spend too long going over the plot on a beat by beat basis. But this is the first episode, Matt, where they discover a friendly firebender. Yes. I should say, first of all, if if you are listening to this in the future, and we are, I'm, I'm assuming we're going to release these episodes once a week like we normally do, um, this would be our fourth week then. Yes. You should have finished yes. the series by now. I don't, that's, that's on you. <laughs> so, get on it if you haven't. Yeah, if you haven't seen it by now, like, come on, get, get, get with the program. But if you want to do it week by week and do, like, an episode sure. per weekday, that I think that would be kind of fun. Yeah, I think I'll like try doing that fun. when I'm uploading these, but we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> no, all right. Anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, this is we meet friendly, a friendly firebender. Well, this is the – they end up in a Fire Nation town, right? Um, which is where – yeah. What's interesting about the show is like the geography of it's always kind of interesting. <laughs> um, I, I had a map a little while back that like showed where each episode was, and it, it like kind of made sense. But you know, in the first few episodes, it feels like they're they. It feels like maybe they retroactively made up where certain things were located. <laughs> um, although they have that map at the beginning of the show mm-hmm. that I think remained relatively the same throughout it yeah well remember that um i forget it this might lean credence to your like retroactive thing but they do talk about fire nation colonies a lot of the time like occupying the earth kingdom king kingdom <laughs> excuse me but um this is probably like a fire nation colony town you know because they're not in the fire nation in this episode they're just in a town that belongs to the well, fire actually nation. I, I looked up the map and they are in uh they are in um, Earth Nation territory, but it's a Fire Nation town, so it's like an occupation thing, I guess. They all seem pretty happy, all these fire people living in the town. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, when you live under fascism. Yeah. They just moved in kind of quick. <laughs> I mean, hey, they, they... Who knows? Maybe they've been there for like 20 years. Yeah. Man, they're not fighting this war very well if they've been at war with the Earth Nation for a hundred years. Well, I think this Earth has, like, so much ground to conquer, you know? And then, of course, we eventually get to the the point in the series where they explain that Bossing Say is kind of, like, kind of like yeah. the place. Like, if you have Bossing Say, like, you're not going anywhere. 
Well, this isn't a spoiler for these episodes because this is the episode where they 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 explicitly say that Uncle Iroh failed to conquer Ba Sing Se, mm-hmm. and that's that's partly why he's disgraced. I feel like we're struggling to talk about this episode a little bit. I don't see why because I actually think it's a pretty good one. What did you think about the deserter? I wasn't struggling at all. Oh, okay. I was just trying to take it some places. Oh, okay. To cover. A diverse bit of ground. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I threw the ball in your corner, and you're like, "Well, you've been fucking it up." <laughs> no, no. It's like, oh, how's how's Diego gonna ping this one back at me? And then, guess not. No, I just I just don't have a lot about like the geography or anything like that. I, I like well, this I mean, episode I... a lot because of how it it really highlights the the different bendings and how when uh, the the character we meet. Uh, is is Zhang Zhang, who's his firebending master, and he goes to great lengths to show that firebending, he feels that it's more of a curse than a gift, you know, it's a burden to have that much power, and the, the series goes on to explain later, like, it's not, no bending is just one thing, which is a great approach, obviously, but, like, that it basically scares Aang uh, by the end of this episode, like, from touching it ever again. And because, you know, he he tries playing he – play, he literally plays with fire and, and Katara gets hurt. He, he burns her hands. And it's kind of a harsh moment in the middle of a generally lighthearted episode. Yes. Back to this Fire Nation village. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, no, 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 I, no, no, I was go ahead. You, you, you got a point. You got a point. You got a point to make. Go ahead. I was, I was just fascinated by this because I can't think of too many other shows where when the characters end up in quote-unquote enemy territory – where the day-to-day lives are just shown as, like, fairly mundane and happy of the people who are ostensibly the villains of the show. <laughs> I can't think of too many other shows that did that, which is what I thought was interesting. No, I, I like that you brought this up, because it is, um... It, it's not painting everyone as, like, just the villains, because they're in the Fire Nation, you know, like it does a really good job of like naturally showing that it's kind of the hierarchy of the fire nation is the problem. The people can attribute to the problem, obviously, but they are not inherently the problem. Like they're not born evil, you know? Yeah. Well, through the deserter story, we kind of get like good glimpse into like what that culture is like. Whereas the festival is kind of just like this happy thing full of a bunch of dorks showing off their magic abilities and selling weird food that just burns you. <laughs> don't, don't really understand that one. Because uh, it's fun. I would do... I mean, that's... It's basically just spicy food. That's like the I, ultimate I know, spicy but like, food. But it, like, gave him, like, a third-degree burn on his tongue. That's <laughs> a little... I would do uh, that once in my life. What if they brought the Hot Ones guy on the Avatar? <laughs> <laughs> they dressed him in like Fire Nation garb, <laughs> and it was like the the different avatars all came on for episodes, and like they had to see how far they could go. <laughs> Avatar Kyoshi, this camera, this camera, this camera. Tell the people what you got going on. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, Avatar Roku's like, "Wow, that's actually a very good question," <laughs> which is something that seems to happen <laughs> on that show a lot. Yeah. Uh, well, credit to the Hot Ones guy. He, he's actually pretty well read for an interviewer, especially compared yeah. to like some other people that go viral online. You're like, really? This is 
that this is what people like. <laughs> well, it's, it, he seems like it seems like they a lot of the people that come on there have their guard down because they think it's just like a gimmick. Mm-hmm. And then the guy has like real questions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, hot ones. It it always makes me want to get some hot wings. And they clearly do the fuck out of the research, which is more than I can say for a lot of other people, so. You know who should play a firebender? Like, who should voice one? Bill Burr. (laughs) Inexplicably, one of the firebenders has a Boston accent now. (laughs) You know, that guy's got got some fire energy going on. You know what? I see it. I see it. Yeah. You know what? Great. Fire Nation women are kind of overrated. You're right? Right? Am I right? <laughs> yeah, I like there's a whole bit about Fire Nation. <laughs> oh, they love you when you're dating, and then it's like, oh, you didn't know I could firebend? <laughs> <laughs> Some stupid shit. And, like, what's up with these Water Nation tribes, right? Like, okay, we've got Believe All Waterbenders. Okay, like, 85% I'll give you. <laughs> but all... There's never a reason to burn someone with your firebending. Oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) That'd be great. That'd be amazing. He's really good in The King of Staten Island. I know. I I like that movie. People seem to not like it. I liked it a lot. But I I like Judd Judd Apatow's best movie. Uh, Funny People I still like more. I like Funny People, but all, you know... Uh, well, that'll something I'll have to save, I guess, for the other podcast we do. Yeah, but there's something about a lot of early Apatow that, like, I like always kind of killed those movies for me. Mm-hmm. That thankfully has been stripped away. Okay. But the deserter, the titular deserter, played uh, by Bill Burr. <laughs> yes, played by Bill Burr. <laughs> now that would be incredible. Yeah. <laughs> he escaped in his helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> a Fire Nation helicopter, and it's and it's just Bill Burr. Like they don't even try to like integrate him into like the other characters. It is just Bill Burr, but he's part of the Fire Nation. <laughs> well, he's in an episode of The Mandalorian, and I was, that like made that episode yeah. for me. Yeah, he's great. I like Bill Burr. Yeah, as an actor, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, anyway. There's a line in this I was trying to get to before I got distracted by my own stupid bullshit. Is uh, they mentioned that no one has, is able to leave the Fire Nation army without, like, if you try to leave, you're executed. Which is a, a window into uh, how the Fire Nation maybe does things. Well, they're, you know, they're fascists. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm not. I'm not like acting like I'm shocked. I'm yeah. just saying that. <laughs> There's a bad version of this where all of this is given to us in, like, the first episode, you know? Mm-hmm. Where it's like, oh, if you try to leave the military, you'll be killed or something like that. But this they this show does a really good job at, like, slowly giving you the information. Yeah, I think I talked about it in the first episode we recorded about this. But, like, it, it's so nice that these are subtitled, like, book seasons. And again, not to make it like, oh, it's not really a TV show, it's more like a novel. But the pacing is definitely more similar to to that than it is like even like a prestige TV show, you know? After they, they decided to go that route with like the pacing and the structure of the show, it just totally lets them flourish in a way that I think a lot of other similar shows 
have struggled to kind of replicate, you know, like even Game of Thrones, which is only like on average 10 episodes every season, like there are just some duds in those seasons, even the, like the great ones that people really love, right? Like, because then like nothing happens. Well, there, there would always be like two or three every season that was just about moving characters around. Yeah, except for the it, first, like, that first season holds the fuck up. That That's a great yeah, season of television. Really tight in its storytelling, but it's just like that's just because you know at that point it hasn't spun out of control. Yeah, yeah, of course. Although we've technically passed the date where we can legally arrest George R. R. Martin for not getting the winds of winter out. Sorry, George, your time sorry, is up, George. motherfucker. <laughs> oh yeah, that was like before the day of recording this, like literally just yesterday, huh? Yeah, that was like the big joke everyone was making <laughs> for five minutes before some horrific shit happened in this country. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it seems that we can't even enjoy memes for like two minutes. <laughs> I wonder if George R. R. Martin is a fan of The Last Airbender. I doubt he watches it. Doesn't he like work on like, he works on like an Apple II computer or something? Yeah, I don't, I don't understand him. <laughs> He's a, and, and if you watch, there's a video of him typing, and he does that thing where he just types with two fingers. Oh, you know? no. That's why it's taking yeah. him so long. <laughs> I know. I know. No way. <laughs> oh, that's, no. Yeah, It'll never finish now. Hey, we'll see. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, there's, there's video of him doing it. It's, it's an interesting holy shit yeah it's over I, i've lost all hope good I, I love him still but like i lost all hope now <laughs> there's uh there's this video i think it was like a tour of his house or something some interviewer came and he's got like all these like figurines and stuff you know i mean he's a nerd so like that's not shocking yeah. but he'll have like dragons and he'll be like this is a scientifically accurate dragon <laughs> and Sorry. it's like dragons aren't real george <laughs> And his argument is because he's like, there's no, uh, I think he's like, there's no mammal or reptilian species that has more than four legs, which is why the, like, wings of dragons in Game of Thrones are, like, also their other appendage, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. It's not like they have four feet and two wings, it's like they have two feet and then two wings. So that, to him, is the scientifically accurate <laughs> version <laughs> of a dragon. Oh, I love him. <laughs> those books are it, like uh, it's those books are filled with so much ridiculous detail trying to make the world work i know and i think it's like i don't like the hope among fans and myself included is that he gives all those details because that's building to something <laughs> but it could just be him being really nerdy about it so i mean that's that's kind of why i love them because he's just like it's just so obvious he loves that shit you know like, just as yeah. much as, like, the the way he builds the plot of those. I do like it when they try to make it, like, somewhat consistent, but it's not the most important thing. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know, I, I was trying to think about, I, I sometimes think about that watching this show where I'm like, what is the science going on here? <laughs> and I think, like, uh, for me, fantasy isn't, like, it doesn't need to make, 
you know, the whole, like, debate about emotion versus logic storytelling or whatever, right? Yeah. Like, Star Wars is, is very similar in that, where it's, like, the the power of the elements or the force or whatever is really drawn from, like, the emotional power and, and honesty that the characters have with each other, right? And so, like, with fire, it's easy to use with rage, but it's harder to control like that, you know? You have to be, like... You have to have found your own identity and be able to stand on your own two feet to really be a master of firebending. Because if not, you know, like we see at the end of this episode, like when Admiral Zhao is fighting Aang, he can kind of lose control of that very quickly. And that's that whole that's Admiral Zhao's whole character is that he doesn't yeah. think ahead. He's just like, no, nah, this is like he would fit very well in the current administration in this country, actually. Yes. Well, it's also, it's a sign of, like, that this is the mentality that has been, like, it's not inherent that, like, if you're a firebender, you're going to be this rage-fueled maniac, but it's, like, been bred into their culture that, like, to rise in it, you have to be that way, you know? Mm -hmm. Their whole honor system and, like, how they serve the Fire Lord has just been all crafted in a way where it's, like, they only... Give promotion to people who are mostly unstable <laughs> and very angry. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of like that's like you know the elements of like fascism, how it like destroys itself eventually. Yeah, it, it like, basically just not... like tires itself out. I mean, there's, it's more yeah. complicated than that, but that's that's fascism for dummies. I guess. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm being very very simplistic. Yeah, but I mean, it's like, it's the classic thing where it's like the the stuff that allowed. Hitler to rise to power is the exact reason why Nazi Germany failed miserably during World War II. <laughs> like, they just fell apart entirely. And that's why Hitler shot himself and bit on a cyanide capsule. <laughs> gotta, gotta, gotta double check. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, just in case I miss. <laughs> well, I think it's, it's that fucked up idea of, like, I gotta give... Gotta give Hitler some credit. Wow. <laughs> yeah, don't wow. take that But, uh, you know, there's always that fear of, like, if you get shot in the head. But, like, it's, like, almost worse to get shot in the head and live in some scenarios with, you know, what can happen if your brain gets messed up. So it's like, well, I'm going to shoot myself, and I'm also going to bite on a cyanide capsule. So if the bullet doesn't kill me, at least the cyanide will. <laughs> And that's also because by the end of the war, German guns were just so poorly manufactured. There was a good chance that if you shot yourself in the head, you would live. That's just, I, you know what? Here's something. Not to go on a bit of a tangent. Oh, never on I'm, this show. Uh, this is something I'm glad at least hasn't happened to The Last Airbender yet. Where, you know, like there's always like that weird thing where like people start liking the aesthetics of like the Empire in Star Wars. And there's also, like, this weird, you know, fascination with, like, Nazi uniforms and their symmetry and, like, their architecture and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But it's all a fake, you know? Like, it was all, like, this glitz on the surface that, like, hides the fact that they were really just disorganized fascist losers. <laughs> and I think people forget that sometimes. Like, we've almost let Hitler gain too much power in our memories as, like, this brilliant dictator, which he really wasn't. Which is why, honestly, again, not to get into Star Wars, but, like, why the First Order at first was such an exciting prospect. Because 
they're clearly clearly just like a bunch of incompetent idiots that are evil and do have like a regime that instilled mass like panic and chaos and danger and violence but like it was not built to last and that was a really compelling thread in those first two movies at least for me i i I know there's there's debate around that yeah but it really came together when they revealed that the four-dimensional chess playing ghost of the emperor clone thing was actually pulling the strings all the whole time you know how to make the clone emperor work don't do it. Have it be a ploy by Hux that he cloned the Emperor, but it's just like some mangled, decrepit thing to steal power away from Kylo. You know, if they had done that, that movie would work. Yeah. If they had made that one change. I know, it would have made it so much that, better. That horrible movie would have worked. <laughs> that one little change would save that movie. I think but... it would have made it better. No, it's, that's a great idea. <laughs> but you kind of already had that with Snoke. It's so ridiculous. Whatever. Uh, fanboys are upset, Diego. No, no. Well, see, no, because then, then it would still be Kylo's trying to move away from it, and Hux is the one holding on to the past. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. That's that's the pull. But fuck it, whatever. Um, it's, all, it's all bad. Yeah. Uh, but I like the character of Zhang Zhang a lot, and uh, it's... I don't know. I just really like the the empathy that the show has towards like the fire bending people that are not like or people from the Fire Nation in general that just aren't bad, you know. And like he he had to he clearly was like obviously making some mistakes to get there in his life, you know. But uh-huh. I, it doesn't. It shows that people can change still, you know. It doesn't absolve them of their sins. He clearly is like burdened by what he's done. But it, I don't know. It's a nice. It's a nice message, at least. No, it's 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 good. It's an interesting counterpoint to Admiral Zhao, who burns his own ships at the end, which is yeah, hilarious. Yeah, which, is, which is a great great moment. Mm. Um, but it's all you know. It, it's it's a good example of the show. I always get there's always that weird thing where again, shows like this kind of try to show like, hey, it's not all black and white. And but then like that leads to people being like, you can't have you know, strict opinions on anything. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it would be like, oh, so you're saying it's just a few bad apples in the fire nation. Oh. <laughs> Which is very much like not what this is saying. Mm-hmm. You could see someone making that argument. <laughs> you know? How are we supposed to defund the fire nation? And we need the fire nation. Yeah, man. Look, they're, you know how they're always burning everything down? <laughs> we need that. <laughs> We need to send the firebenders in to de-escalate the situations <laughs> by just shooting fire everywhere. Who are you going to call when you need to put out fires, non-firebenders? <laughs> hey, maybe we can fund waterbenders by cutting the budget of the firebenders. Shut the fuck up! <laughs> no, that's socialism. That's socialism. Uh, Fucking and- nincompoop. <laughs> Anyways, this is a really good episode, and I kind of mo- want to move on because the next episodes well, we, are we even more interesting. We did over uh, – you mentioned it in one sentence where you summed up the whole episode very quickly. But Aang does burn Katara in one of the more shocking scenes. Yeah, it's pretty harsh. It's not like – I remembered that happening, but I forgot how harsh it was. Yeah, and she's crying 
in it. And so yeah. it's, it's easy to see why Aang is like, I'm never doing that again. Well, she is permanently scarred until she discovers she has the ability to heal through waterbending. Like, if she did not have that ability, she would have those burns for the rest of her life. Yeah. And I'm actually curious if that was an idea tossed around the writer's room. I would love to talk to, to people from there. That's it. That would be... That's an idea. It would be kind of insanely dark to throw that in at the at, like end of the first season. <laughs> oh, totally, totally. Yeah, and I'm not even saying I wanted that for sure. I'm just curious if that was like, hey, should we do that, you know? Cause, I think you know, we already got with Zuko with his scar. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, put on him by his own fucking father. Yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty dark. <laughs> pretty Pretty not great. Pretty, uh, that's a not great thing. Yeah, no, happen. no, it's, it's heavy. This is a heavy show at times. It can get heavy, yeah. Anything else in this Northern episode? Air Temple. Okay, there we go. Yeah, Northern Air Temple, which involves further war crimes. Yeah, but guess what? Odo's back. Yay! He voices the, the guy who's living in the Northern Air Temple now. Who is... This is a much better episode for that, his talents, than The Great Divide. I will say that. <laughs> I liked him in The Great Divide. He's not what I... did I, too, but know. this this gets, you know, he's got... This character actually has an arc. Yeah, yeah. And... Um, Pretty dark one, too. Again, <laughs> it's, like, weird. Yeah, I mean, on the, on the discussion of uh, war crimes and such... It shows that, um, I think Hayao Miyazaki did a movie about this, right? The Wind Rises? Kind of something similar? Um, Am I mistaken? A little bit. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, since it's Miyazaki, it's a little more understated. Oh, yeah, yeah, of than, course. To the, to the point where there were a lot of think pieces when that movie came out being like, is Hayao Miyazaki saying he was okay with Japanese war crimes? And it's like, that's not at all what that movie was. yeah. There's another definite Miyazaki homage coming later in this episode that we'll talk about. I actually don't know which one you're talking about, so I'm interested. Well, we'll get we'll get to it. Okay. Um, but yeah, the, this is about an inventor who has taken residence up in the Northern Air Temple, much to Aang's chagrin, because a lot of the technology and like the the mechanisms have kind of ruined the temple forever. And yeah, they're um, blowing shit up. It's pretty. It's pretty blunt too. Yeah, and yeah, that, that, that's pretty messed up. And uh, but we see that he's used a lot of his inventions to uh, help his son, who is paraplegic and uh, has a wheelchair, which I guess was not common in this world at the time. I, I don't know if, if if you felt that, but I got the implication that like, oh, what's like, what's a wheelchair from these people? Well, he's got a flying wheelchair. Well, he's also, so. yes, yeah, he also flies, that's, which is that's cool. That's definitely a step up. Um, but I don't know, I mean, possibly, that feels like something this this world could have figured out, wheelchairs. <laughs> Maybe I'm stretching it, but I feel like that's something they could figure out. You don't need to be a nomadic adventure, <laughs> I mean, inventor. To figure that one out. Yeah, I, I guess so. 
But he, uh, his son was injured. What was the story behind his son getting injured? I, I, totally I, I don't remember either. Oh my god. I, I, don't... I know that was that was important to the story. We both forgot it. Well, he made the wheelchair so his son could fly. So he, he wouldn't need his legs to do that. And so he'd be equal in the sky. Yeah, but I know his son... But his son was explicitly injured, and that's why he became um, handicapped. Was it a Fire he, Nation he mentions attack? mentions his son became... His home was destroyed by a flood when he was an infant. It killed his mother and, and paralyzed him. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's a nice reason for, for why he's doing what he's doing. And uh, the, the son and Aang uh, get really close, and he, he wants to show Aang that, like, there's still a section of the temple that hasn't been, like, desecrated by their mechanical foundations. And it's really nice and sweet. And then Aang's like, no, I don't want to see it. Because it should be left alone. And then uh, when he changes his tune Before... to decide he does want to see it after all, you know. it uh, It's got a bunch of Fire Nation stuff in it. And you find out that the inventor has been giving materials and technology to the Fire Nation. So he could keep his son safe. And uh, that's a pretty heavy message. About not a great thing to find out. No, no, the the dangers of like who's funding your technology, even if it is for the betterment of the world. Uh, it's not going to be for the betterment of the world if you give like war criminals zeppelins. I don't know. It's pretty. It, this one's actually kind of heavy. It's a, yeah. I mean, this it, it gets this season gets really heavy in like the last five episodes. <laughs> Again, for like a kids show. Like I wouldn't like say you know. This isn't fucking come and see or anything, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh God, no! For for a kids show, it's like you know you introduce these concepts at a young age. Uh, a lot going on here, <laughs> and you get a we get a fun little battle at the end of this episode too. Uh, it's kind of a warm up for what comes at the end of the season. Yeah, but uh, it, it's cool, and you get to see the, these inventions, and I really like. The, the furthering of Sokka as, like, a strategic mind, even though he is also, like, an idiot when it comes to social skills. Mm -hmm. uh, and he, he's basically just, like, becomes buddy-buddy with the inventor, and they're, like, they're totally in tune with one another. And I just, I really love that, because, like, a lesser show would just make Sokka comic relief. Yeah. But he's got so much more going on as a character that I, I really love, and... Um, apparently from a lot of people I know that have been watching it for the first time, Sokka is their favorite character, like, on average. Maybe, like, one yeah. or two people have not said that to me. <laughs> That's interesting. I like Sokka, but I, you know, it was never one of my favorites. It's kind of like That's picking not, your favorite children, not, you know? It's like, you're not yeah, supposed to exactly. have them, but mm. also Zuko. <laughs> so. Yeah. I think my, my favorite character has yet to show up. Oh, okay. So, okay. Yeah, yeah, that that's a good one. We'll get to that. Um, there's a fun scene where uh, Katara gets to fly, though. That was a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then she gets stuck up there, and she's like, how do I come down? And then <laughs> yeah, she swallows like a bug. You, yeah, and they just stare at her while she's like, hey, I don't know how to land. And then, <laughs> and then they have a conversation that moves them into the next scene. Yeah, it's like, wait, what happened? 
Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. Heavy to be like, yeah, just just give it a whirl. <laughs> Fly. We're at the Northern Air Temple, which is like on top of a fucking mountain or some shit. Yeah, it's but... kind of like the Himalayas, but go ahead, it's fine. You'll land eventually. Yeah. If you fuck up, you're just gonna plummet to your death. <laughs> You either have a fun time flying or plummet to your death. You know, you win some, you lose some. <laughs> yeah. That's why I've never been interested in flying. Like, airplanes or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, you can fly, which seems fun, but if you fuck up, you're dead. Yeah, it's kind of like... Like, I think I've talked about it before, but, like, if I had a superpower, I would want flight. Because then I at least know, like, oh, I'm getting tired. I better land. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. I can't do that with the plane unless I'm looking at, like, the engine stuff. I, like, you have to read so many of those little dials and monitors to be able to make sure, okay, everything's perfect. Everything has to be perfect at all times for this to work. I can't do that. <laughs> Well, it's just like that thing. I've just I've driven a lot in my life where I've made like split second mistakes and fucked up. And like in those instances, it's like oh, sometimes like I end up like I I hit a curb or something, you know. Like the majority of the time, that doesn't add up to much. It can in extreme situations, but most of the time it doesn't. But in an airplane, every time it adds up to death. <laughs> One of these gliders would be kind of fun, though. I guess. Yeah. I don't know. That does that this is this seems like the opposite idea of fun. <laughs> no, I, I love gliding, I love being up in planes is the thing. I just don't want to fly them. You love being up in planes? Yeah. It's it's so relaxing to me. I don't know why. But here's the thing. How? Takeoff and landing, I have like the worst panic attacks of my life. But once everything's like equalized, I'm like, okay, I'm good. I I get nervous when you're taking off. And then I never lose it. <laughs> and it's just like, because like you, you, for some reason in my head, I'm always like, well, once we take off, everything will be all right. And then it's like, no, you're still in a fucking capsule that's like <laughs> shooting at hundreds of miles per hour. That's just going up and up and up. And it's like one thing goes wrong. The whole fucking everyone's dead. Yeah, no, I don't like it. Oh, no, it's I, I love it. I love it. I, I do not. There's nothing. There's there's nothing relaxing about air travel. Maybe the drinks. Did I tell you my house had a hot air balloon hit it once? What? That's actually very relevant to this episode, so please continue. Um, I was very young. I think I was like five years old. And I was playing in my yard. And I'm just like hanging out. And I hear like a noise behind me, but I don't think too much of it. And I look up, and there's a hot air balloon (laughs) coming straight at my house. And the basket hits the roof of my house. And then they keep flying and they crash at, like, a football field that was, like, a block away. Huh. Because we used to have a thing in my area called Balloon Fest. <laughs> where it was just... It was just no, fun, I, I think I know what it's air, about. Tons of hot air balloons. <laughs> that was it. And because Syracuse is a fucking pit... Where nothing happens, this was like one of the bigger events of the year. <laughs> I 
sorry. It's just so funny to me. Yeah, it's the fucking... It was the dumbest. Because, like, in L.A., they use every opportunity to be like, yeah, let's go! You know? So, like... And then the other side of the country, we have balloons. Yeah, we have balloon fest, and every year I'd get tricked into going. And I realized I could have just stayed home because I could see most of the balloons from my house. <laughs> like I, I really didn't need to leave. They're, like it would, it would honestly be kind of cool that one night where you could just see like the dozens of hot air balloons in the air. Mm-hmm. It's like that's interesting, yeah. but it's not interesting going there and watching watching them take off because you look at these people and you're like, I don't trust any of these people. <laughs> Flying hot air balloons, and that in the one year there, like a bunch of them crashed. That was like a thing that. Happened. Oh God! One year where it was like like a bunch crashed, and I think like only like a few died, but like a lot of people were injured. Oh well, if only a few died then. I think I think the people that hit my house and then crashed, I think one of them like broke an arm or something. Like they came down way too quick. Hmm. You know, I've never That's broken a, a bone in my body. Same. Yeah, feels good. And I fell down the stairs last week. <laughs> so so what was the Miyazaki was a, reference you wanted to point out in this episode? That's not until... I said it comes later in... I meant the episode we're recording. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So it'll... it'll oh, well it'll then, show. yeah, then I know what it is now. Yeah, I was, I was, I was wondering. I was okay. like, oh, maybe Diego hasn't seen that one. No. Princess Mononoke, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah. Any, anyways, uh, no, another another great episode. Um, Fire Nation gets the war balloon though. Yep, insanely, insanely dark ending. Like I, I don't know if I talked about it on the show already, but my mom's starting to make her way through this at the, for the first time, and then she called me for to one ask me if anything happens to Appa because then she'd stop watching mm. uh, because she loves Appa, and then two. Because uh, she was like really disturbed by the the ending to the Fire Nation getting the balloon. Because <laughs> like the implications of that, we actually end up seeing in the show too, which is just heavy. It's it's, it's all heavy shit right now. Hope you gave. I hope you gave her a bit of a heads up. Uh, I, I I was like, you know, Appa's okay. He 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 makes it through. Yeah, you could you maybe give her a little more than that. <laughs> Um, no, I got another phone call later, but we'll get to that. Alright, alright. <laughs> <laughs> so, episode... You know, though, I gotta say, nothing, like, this gets, this series gets dark, and it's kind of like, it, like, watching it now, it's, like, surprising, but not, nothing really gets me, like, upset, anxious in this show, until Legend of Korra. Oh, Okay. I want to say, like, every season of Legend of Korra has at least one or two moments that, like, genuinely upset me. And then someone's out there at the keyboard, yeah, because it's not as good as the last year, Bender. <laughs> I just, I, yeah, I no. know there's, there's going to be some fucker out there, that's why. Although, there's there's one episode that we won't hit, I think, until season three. I could be wrong. That is notorious for its its darkness. Oh. W- would probably upset me. Another time around. Oh. So yeah, that's another solid episode. And now we're on the last stretch of season one. uh, Book one, Water. And the gang finally reaches the North Pole in the Waterbending Master. And they meet Santa Claus. What? (laughs) Wouldn't that be... They just fuck it all up. (laughs) 
Oh, that would have been amazing. Just a bunch of elves water bending. <laughs> Do you remember uh <laughs> Santa shows up in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? Oh yeah. And he gives him weapons? Yeah. It's amazing. I should revisit that movie. Um Sure. Maybe not. <laughs> okay. Those are like just the like the first ones. I mean, the books more. The first book's fine, but, like, they really, really lay into the Christian shit uh, later. Oh, I recall. <laughs> yeah. And then they just gave up trying to make those movies, which I think is hilarious. Yeah. I don't know what happened there. At some point, they must have had some backlash because they replaced Eddie Izzard with Simon Pegg in one of them. Oh, that's right, huh? Yeah, I bet you there was a conservative backlash to that that maybe happened. Mm. That's too Can't bad. have Eddie Izzard on a Christian thing. <sighs> Eddie Izzard's so fucking awesome. Eddie Izzard's great. Yeah. Although, I'm always nervous now, because the one thing that the Tumblr era really started for me was that it revealed that all your British favorites are, like, either racist or transphobic. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's kind of true. You know, so Eddie, I like, like Eddie Izzard the actor. There you go. I don't know him from Adam. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know enough about Eddie Izzard, but I just always see. I love Eddie Izzard's always great when he pops up in something. Yeah, remember he's just like a guest star in Hannibal, like regularly yeah, the for the best. first two seasons. Yeah, he was so great, and they kept killing him, and then finding excuses to bring him back. Yeah, he was like their Kenny. I know a little bit. <laughs> Him and Chilton, where Chilton dies like twice. Oh yeah, it's amazing. And they still bring him back, which uh, that was one of the, that was some of the great stuff about that show. Yeah. Um, they basically bend over backwards to bring people back from the dead, and then like by the end of the show, Chilton is just like a charred like chest. Do you remember uh, when Eddie Izzard did a cover of "Being for the Benefit of Mister Kite" mm-hmm. in? Across the universe? No, but I don't really remember that movie, but I've been meaning to revisit uh, it. His, that scene is, is something. Um, it's just, Eddie Ezer comes like bumbling into the (laughs) film and sings the song. And it's like, all right. (laughs) It's got the blue people. Okay, so the waterbending master. Aang, Sokka, and Katara are... What? Not voiced by Eddie Izzard. <laughs> Not voiced by Eddie Izzard. And he should have done a voice on this show. Ideally, in the third Avatar series, he does a voice somewhere. Yeah, that'd be great if they ever get around to doing another one. It's right there. Just just have yeah. have Earth be be the modern day one. Then Fire be the future. Blade Runner style cyberpunk. It's right there. Whatever. whatever. I think they should... I don't know what they should do. I think, like, they gotta do something in between. But when they get back to fire, I think they should go to space. Yeah, cyberpunk. No, not cyberpunk. Like... Like, retro rocket punk, you know? Oh, okay. Like, like the, like, 1950s idea of what space travel was gonna look like. Oh, that would be, that would be kinda cool. I, I would like to see something like that. Okay, okay. Because it is actually, when I think about it, the leap between this and then they immediately go into steampunk in the next one is a pretty big leap Mm -hmm. in retrospect, Uh, but I'm cool with it. 
Yeah, no, I'm cool with it too. Also, I just found out they're uh, they are releasing uh, prequel books about uh, Avatar Kyoshi. Yeah, and I've heard they're actually heard... pretty cool. Yeah, I think I might have to check those out. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I don't read Star Wars books anymore, so. <laughs> yeah, all the I think we talked about that, like the extended universe stuff. I'm cool to hear if it's good, but like I won't go out of my way anymore to pick up anything yeah. like that. Oh my god! What? I wanted to check who did voices on the show. Mm-hmm. I I totally missed this. I don't know how I didn't realize. Um, Chief Arnook is voiced by John Polito. John Polito, the late great John Polito. What? Do you know who John Polito is? I, I, I don't know who John Polito is. Have you seen Miller's Crossing? Yeah. Fucking Johnny Casper, he's ethics. Oh, fuck. Okay. Like now, interesting I, ethical now I feel question. bad. He slaps his kid. <laughs> one scene. Always put one in the brain. Oh, fuck. Hang on. Now I got a... Uh, 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 Big Lebowski? Yeah, he's DeVito and Big Lebowski. I'm a brother Seamus. <laughs> he pops up. He's in, a, he's in the Rocketeer. Is he in the Rocketeer? Yeah, we t- we had this discussion because you confused him with uh, Paul Sorvino. Fuck, that's right. But he's uh, he's the guy. He gets killed in the in the Rocketeer. Oh fuck. Um, he's the guy who's like, don't worry, folks. Everything's under control. <laughs> I gotta go watch the Rocketeer. That's a great movie. It's only like the first season of Homicide: Life on the Street. <laughs> really? Yeah. And then he, like, left the show. It's, like, one of the worst things ever to happen in television. I love Homicide. But, uh, he, uh, I think his character, he left the show after, like, season one or two. So they wrote that his character committed suicide. Holy fuck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is, like, that's a bit of a stretch. That, wow. That's pretty bad. And then it's, like... But then they get, like, a whole episode out of, like, oh, we didn't realize he was that depressed. It's like, well, all right, that's a, that's a way to do it, I guess. <laughs> John Polito's great. I'm sorry. I, I no, was, no, I he, he, is, not, he is great, but I, I just, I, I had never even considered that, like. I just had not put together that it was John Polito doing The Voice. Also in Gangster Squad, which no one really likes oh or remembers. No one remembers Gangster Squad. <laughs> and no one should, frankly. No, it's not good. Yeah. That's, a, that's a bad, bad movie. Mm-hmm. Um, that's only known for, like, one thing. But who makes a movie called Gangster Squad? Director of Venom. I think they gave it to... They tried to give that movie to Zack Snyder at one point. Oh, that totally makes sense. Like, there was a thing where... Well, Warner Bros. like, bought the rights to the book or something, and they had a script, and they, like, offered it to, like, every big director they had. And they all said no. (laughs) Anyways, Chief Arnook... Yeah, sorry, sorry for getting distracted on the John Polito stuff. No, 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 it's okay. It, 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 I get it. But they end, yes, they end up at the North Pole. They're finally at the Northern Water Tribe. 
And then Sokka immediately falls head over heels for Princess Yue, the, the daughter of Chief Arnuk and John Polito. <laughs> <laughs> of Chief Arnuk and John Polito. John, and, I mean, that's not wrong. John Polito was gay. <laughs> it's not even a joke. Like. <laughs> um, so, and, uh, there could have happened. <laughs> they're they're both kind of celebrated and welcomed as heroes when they get there, and it's like a great affair. But then it's also like, oh, here's the waterbending match that's going to teach Aang. Also, we don't teach women things here. <laughs> Only how to heal. Yeah. And then it's like, whoa! And so Katara gets the big spotlight in this episode, too, because she's been working just as hard as Aang, and in some ways even harder because she discovered Aang in the ice. She's the reason this na- this story has a narrative. And yeah. she's told... No, because that's not how we do things. And part of, like, the Again, great resilience a... of the character and why she's endured with a lot of fandoms, I think, is because she's like, no, this is wrong. Let's do something well, about great, this. There's a great moment uh, in the end where, when she's finally fed up with the Watermaster's bullshit, and he's like, she's like, we're gonna, I'm gonna fight him. And I think, I can't remember who says it, but one of them goes like, Katara, you're going to lose. And she's like, I don't care. Yeah. (laughs) I'm still just going to fucking try to hit this guy. (laughs) Which is great. Yeah, I I mean, it's, there's probably an argument to be made about, like, how she has to fight to prove herself is not, like, the best thing ever. But it's her fighting against the traditions and, like, that institution itself that make it so great. What's great about it is it's not a moment where it's like, oh, she thinks she can actually take this guy and she's going to be humiliated or something. Mm -hmm. Like, she explicitly says, I'm not even going to try to win. Yeah, she just wants to, like, like, show them and be mad. Like, I just want to hit the guy and show him I can do it. And that's that's what's great about it. Um, But I do have... I have a little... I have some problems with this episode. Oh, no. Okay. Um, Not a ton. But uh, for one, I like whenever I see something like this now, it's one of those things. Where it's like if this episode aired today, it would be like there'd be like eighty outrage merchants on YouTube, <laughs> like complaining about it and being like it's virtue signaling, woke bullshit. And then they'll point out that like the ratings at the end of the season aren't as high as they were at the start, which is like what happens to every single television show that's ever been on the air. Like every once in a while, it, some shows get bigger in their season finale, but yeah, that, that especially nowadays when shows don't even break like five million viewers on average. Get woke, go broke. Yeah, and that's their mantra. It's so fucking stupid. Um, I know it's awful, but uh. I, the problem I have with this is that you get this guy, and it's also, like, this first moment where you realize that, like, gender actually is a thing. Like, there really are gender roles in this world. Uh, which has kind of, like, been danced around a little bit um, as the series has progressed. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, when the when the when all the members of the Water Tribe go off to war, they, they make it pretty clear that mostly the men went off to war. Uh, it's not like a, it's not like an underlined thing, but that's something that happens. Uh, we find out that there's an arranged marriage going on at the Northern Water Tribe. So this is something where it's like, all right, so gender constructs are kind of an engraved thing in the culture. But then at the end of it, it's revealed 
that the reason um, Paku, the waterbending master, doesn't like women is because he was rejected by Gatara's grandmother. Is that the only reason, though? Like, I don't know. It, it, it's weird because that's the thing. It, like, turns around and suddenly. It's like, okay, everyone. Like, you know. Mm-hmm. And then there's like that fake out ending where like she's running up and he's like, "What are you doing here?" And he's like, "You're late." Ha <laughs> ha. Yeah. You know. Like suddenly he's totally cool with it. Like, <laughs> no, it, it is a little convenient for sure. Uh, it's a little a little too tied up with a bow, sh- maybe for something as complex as that. In a show that's done a lot better with stuff like that up to this point, like that kind of feels a little uh, cheaper. I wouldn't. I honestly wouldn't say cheaper. I would definitely concede to more convenient. Well, cause once you get in, once they point out that like Princess Yue has an arranged marriage lined up, it's like that's suddenly like that that brings in all sorts of baggage with it. Mm-hmm. Where you know it's like marriage was like an economic idea for a long time. And it was, it's a system that was kind of, it was basically designed to, like, subjugate women, really. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's when women basically became a commodity for, you know, wealth being exchanged between families. And that's what enforces a lot of the gender roles we have today. So when you throw that in there, it's like, all right, this is something that's been going on for a long time. You know? Which I'm fine with. Like, if you want to throw that in there and be like, look, it's the, the northern... Water Tribe has some older ideas for whatever reason. Um, the Earth Kingdom's more progressive. The Water Tribe's different. Like, I can, I'm totally cool with that. Um, it's even a little weird when you look at uh, this, uh, what we get to see of the Air Nations and the Air Temples. Those seem to be exclusively male in the flashbacks. I In the flashbacks, yes, but... One of the uh, the previous air nomads was also an avatar, and she was a woman. Okay. Yeah, but it's in terms of like the actual presentation of the show, like not even represent. Like I'm saying, like what the show shows us regularly. You're right; it is exclusively male, and I think that was just kind of like a, a mistake on their part. Honestly, it's a mistake, yeah. or it's like you know, like sometimes it's like. It's, you know, it's bullshit, but it's like, oh, well, we don't want to have to draw all these character designs for, like, what women look like in the Air Nation, which is kind of, you know, I can't imagine that costs too much. Yeah, but, yeah. You know. Yeah. The, it's a thing. And I, you know, it, it's an error on their part for sure. I'm not I'm not even defending them for that. I, I, I definitely agree that they could have added some more stuff there for, like. I just think it's like, it's somewhere it's like, all right, so you set up that this is like a general, this is like an old tradition. These constructs are older and and have just become integrated into the society. And then suddenly this one guy, when he realizes that this girl is the granddaughter of his ex-fiance, suddenly is like, oh, maybe I shouldn't do this anymore. (laughs) Like, because in that system, it's like, you know, we meet, uh, I don't remember the woman's name, but there's, Katara is sent off to work with the other women who are doing more of like the water healing and more like menial tasks with water bending whereas the men are like trained to be like you know fighters Mm -hmm. and in a system like that you know even that woman would probably defend her place in society if that's what gives her power you know yeah 
And again, this is a children's show. I'm not asking it to get that deep. But it's it's these two things next to each other that make it a little weird. No, for sure. And here's my here's my thesis on this that I've had since I first watched this show. You cut out the episode of the fortune teller, add another episode of them at the Northern Water Tribe. Not just to let those ideas settle a little better, right, and explore more of that, but because there there is so much of the culture there that I think could have been explored with more time. Like I, I like what we have here a lot, and especially the next episodes, which we'll get into. But there's so much like it's a total counterpoint to where the characters have been all season, where they're just constantly on the road, and it's like, well, now they're in one place. Like, okay, I, I think it would have been fun to explore. Like, okay, what does that mean for them now? Like, do we just like sit here now until we're ready to go back out there? Like. Is that going to be kind of boring? And eventually, I won't spoil it for people that have not gotten this far in the show. Something like that does happen, and I really like that. Um, uh-huh. I just I would have liked to have seen that a little bit more here, and to also show uh, that idea you brought up about like you know there's still power in the the other water bending tasks and forms, and like you can still be empowered by whatever you do as long as you know it's on your own terms. There's probably yeah. a way to, like, marry the healing and the, the water battling, you know? Like, marry well, those two think, concepts into, like, a larger narrative. I just, I'm just, like, I, I think I'm kind of comparing, like, all the other stuff that's tried to deal with gender to the Kiyoshi Warriors episode. Oh, yeah, which is, like, perfect. It's just, like, the fourth episode, and it just goes places that, like, shows even today don't really go. I mean, that's literally an episode where, like, Sokka wears like, basically women's clothing in a way that's not, like, comedic, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And it's like, oh, you know, that can be powerful, too, in a way. Because it's, it's like, there's so many jokes where it's like, oh, there's a man in a dress. Like, what type of person would humiliate themselves by wearing a dress? And it's like, like it's all like this, that, that, like, weird undercurrent of, like, sexism. Where it's like, we belittle women for wearing clothes that then we expect them to wear. Mm-hmm. And I think you could have you could have done more, like you're saying. Um, just one just more episode. That's like, all it needed, I think. It always reminds me of that scene in uh, Blazing Saddles, where, where the white woman like, at? Gotta... No, not that. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I literally can't quote anything from Blazing Saddles, <laughs> but uh, there's that scene in the end where they're like, "We have to build the fake town." <laughs> And so they're like, well, how are we going to do it? We don't have enough people. And then it's like, well, we'll do it with all the, the, the black people and the, the Chinese workers and all that stuff. And they're at first they're like, nope, we're not going to do it. Like, this is we can't. We're not going to let them work. I, I can't quote what they said. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they're like, we're not going to do it. And then they're like, nope, you either do it or we, we lose. And then the guy's like, oh, shit everybody and they all just start hugging like they go from being at complete odds then it's like hey like <laughs> which is like a parody of that type of story mm-hmm. where it's like like that's like the joke that's going on there yeah but here it's it's played like kind of like oh that's how you defeat sexism <laughs> yeah no no this whereas like i would say like kiyoshi warriors like it's, i wouldn't actually say like it's a manifesto of how to do those stories or anything like that but my god it like even now, how much did that single episode give us to talk about versus this where it's like, yeah, and then everything was okay with them. 
Yeah. Well, it's also like this thing where it's what's crazy about the Kyoshi Warriors is that feels like an episode that would come in like the third season after we've gone through like the waterbending episode, the waterbending master episode and the fortune teller episode where we both complained about some of the gender politics of those episodes. And but you can see that they're like trying to work it out and that they would eventually come up with an episode like the Kyoshi Warriors. And they already did it. Like, yeah, but it's literally the fourth episode. <laughs> so, it's a great show, though. Yeah. Great. The, the best show. But, yeah. Yes. Oh, we, we, I, we totally brushed over uh, Zuko's plot. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. I, I was just waiting to finish up the stuff with the Northern uh, Water I was trail. I was about to jump ahead like an idiot. Oh, no, no, no. But, okay, so the Zuko stuff here. Uh, Zuko's entire crew and ship, well, not ship, and is uh, basically reprimanded into Admiral Zhao's fleet because he is planning for an assault on the Northern Water Tribe, and it's basically going to take like the largest like navy the world has ever seen in this universe, right? Yeah. And then uh, Admiral Zhao is like, fuck this guy. I need his uncle to help like me plan the attack and stuff like that. So I'm going to hire those pirates to assassinate him. <laughs> assassinate a 16-year-old yeah. boy. Which I said, like I mentioned, I, t- I remembered this plot. I forgot the pirates did it. Yeah. We were, when those pirates showed up, I was like, they don't come back again, right? And then you're like, oh, they come back. And I was kind of expecting him to show up much later. I forgot they were the ones that carried out the assassination plot. Mm-hmm. And then uh, there's, I don't know if I like it or dislike it. I don't think it's it's that big of an issue either way. But uh, in the explosion scene, you can see Zuko yell and fly out of the window and land in the water. I kind of would have liked it, I think, if there just was no hint of it. But also, like, you kind of know that's not how Zuko's story is going to end. It doesn't mean it's yeah. a bad, like, moment or anything like that. I'm just, I don't know. One of the things I have, like, weird feelings about. Not in a well, again, negative, I positive think way. If you're right about our, our version of the season where they cut the Fortune Teller episode and have one more episode in the Northern Water Tribe, I feel like they could have done something where we have an episode where we do treat Zuko as being dead. Yeah, like you could have had that, but here it's like you kind of have to reveal as quickly as possible that no, he lived, mm-hmm. um, because it would, you know, it, it would get confusing with the amount of stuff that goes on in the in the final two episodes. Yeah, very a lot actually. It's kind of yeah, amazing like how much they very... pack into like forty minutes. Yeah, let's talk about a season final. A season final. <laughs> The last two episodes. Yes, yeah, season finale. What I can't say final. I don't. I don't think it matters. I just I haven't heard someone say that before. All right. All okay. Right. See, on the shit. season final of Avatar: The Last Airbender, Book One, Water, uh, the Siege of the North, Part One and Part Two. It's kind of like the traditional fantasy adventure thing where it's like a Helm's Deep style showdown. And I don't mean yeah. that as a negative at all because, like, even on the, like, simplest terms of explaining this episode, I think it just kicks ass. Yeah. Well, it reminded me of three things. Um, Helm's Deep, it did remind me of, but you're absolutely right. 
um, in that comparison, but it reminded me of the Battle of Hoth because it was snow. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. It also kind of reminded me of the Death Star battle because it's like where all these storylines are just converging in one place. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's the big turning point where it's like, and it, it, you know, not to, I mean, we're not, who gives a shit? It ends triumphantly, basically. Uh, but then the other thing it reminded me of was the Mortal Engines, which has a very similar climax. I forgot you just watched that. I know, it's a... Welcome to the Mortal Engines hive. Yeah, the the five people. Yeah. Uh, I like that movie. I'm gonna have to... I'll never get sequels, so I guess I have to go read those books. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I liked it. Should I? Uh, every, the other thing now is that I didn't, did not realize how many Artemis Fowl fans are out there. Oh, I did. I'm not one of them. I never read those books, but I, I definitely, I, I knew they were waiting to strike. Yeah, because like all like my time, like it, like it's like people I know. <laughs> And they've never brought up that they like it at all. And it was just like for weeks they were just upset. (laughs) Understandably. Uh, That's a shame. Yeah. So. Uh, Whatever happened to Aragon? Just crickets. (laughs) I think even like the book started like dropping off at some point. Well, that's that crazy story where the person who wrote it was like 18 years old or whatever. Yeah. Like, he wrote it real young, and, you know, when you, when you consider that, it's not, you know, it's a lot better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, hey, that that dude, like, planned properly, he might not ever have to work again. Well, he, what, he, he, what he did was, he went, what if I did Star Wars, but with dragons? Yeah, I, I know, I know, and that's not a bad idea, I'm not even, like... <laughs> it's, yeah, well, it's also, like... You know, if you're going to copy something, might as well. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, it's like when, so. everyone, when everyone tried to do Dark Knight again. It's like, yeah, I get why you tried it. Well, what's crazy is that so many people copied Dark Knight, and, like, the three examples I can think of all worked, so. <laughs> Star Trek Into Darkness? Oh, no, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot that one. Yeah. <laughs> uh. um, anyways. So, yeah, this is the big battle finale where... Everyone, the stakes are raised. Everyone's involved. Uh, there's heart. You said you said this ends triumphantly, and it does. But it also has like a, a kind of at what hits a cost. You. Yeah, it, it hits so, you with that emotional stuff really, really hard. Strong men also cry. <laughs> you got me thinking of the John Polito's got me thinking of. The Big Lebowski, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I mean, hey, Big Lebowski's the shit, so I don't, I don't blame you. Yeah. Um, yeah, the Fire Nation invades. We didn't really talk about Princess Yue that much. No, we could talk about her right uh, now, though. Yeah, I actually like um, this character a lot. I, I, I don't, I don't know what the the read is on her other than the memes about the Moon Spirit. Because again, we're assuming you've seen this, so. You know, we do lose Princess Yue in this episode, only... Yeah, one of the darkest things that happens in the show is, like, a goofy meme. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it, it, it's, like... I think there's there's a point to be made about how... Someone could argue that Princess Yue basically just exists to become, like, yeah. a tragic figure. But I, yeah, I, she's introduced I, a little late in the game. Yeah, that, again, 
that one more episode, I think this would have helped a little bit more. But I think in terms of, like, the show's mythology, I I think it still works. It's kind of like, I know you don't like this movie, but, like, Pirates of the Caribbean 3 ends, like, triumphantly as well, but also with a tragedy that Will and, um... Oh my god, I can't remember her name. <laughs> Kira Knightley. <laughs> Kira Knightley's character. Elizabeth Swan? <laughs> Thank you. Will and Elizabeth I Swan. I hate those movies, and I know that. Will and Elizabeth Swan end up Here's being like a, a a grand pirate fable. Yeah. At the end of it. Sure. That. Here's something. I'm more invested in Princess Yue than I am in fucking Will Turner, whatever the fuck his name was. And they had three two and a half hour plus movies to set that tool bag up. <laughs> um, I am not, but I, I like Princess Yue as a character and I actually... I like Elizabeth Swan. I want to make that clear, though. Uh, Elizabeth Swan's a great character, yeah. She should have been the main character of those fucking movies. She... Rewatch the sequel. She, she kind of is... She you know, she kind of is if you think about it from this angle. <laughs> from my point of view, the mat is evil. <laughs> yeah, fuck you. <laughs> um, fuck all that bullshit. No, no, but but uh, I, I actually like the character and his a lot. Fucking nonsense. <laughs> I like the character Corbin Princess Yue a lot. And tool, you know, like romances in anything are like difficult to pull off. Well, here's here's something I was thinking about. Mm-hmm. Uh. I, you know, I don't want to jump the gun too much, but we are going to talk about the M. Night Shyamalan adaptation of this uh, at some point. Which he, he did the first season in one movie. Which, before I rewatched this, I thought what would have been impossible to really do. Like, you just can't fit all of this story into that movie. Mm-hmm. Which is true, but in retrospect... You could have restructured this season to make to have a narrative arc that follows the movie. And one of the biggest fumbling blocks of a movie that is full of fumbling blocks is that they didn't think to introduce Princess Yue earlier in the movie. Mm-hmm. Which should have been the one big change they did. She should have shown up like halfway through. Yeah. Because even on the show, we're talking about how we wish we had more with her on the show, we still get more of her here than we do in that movie. Just kind of absurd. It's, well, yeah, it's crazy to think about. Like, they really should have introduced her a slightly earlier in that movie. And they should, maybe in the show as well. Yeah. Again, that one extra episode, just something, man. Yeah. Wouldn't have solved all the problems, is, I, but it would have helped a little bit. For what it is, I, I really like it. This is actually... They, I think this climax is a really fantastic job of having, like, all the moving pieces of each character. Because uh, you got, like... like I don't know if... Katara doesn't have a ton to do in this final episode. Yeah, not, not um, as much. In terms of an emotional arc, she's basically just there to keep Aang safe. Mm-hmm. Which, I, you know, that's something, but uh, Sokka gets something. We have Zuko's going on, his whole plot. we got Uncle Iroh and Admiral Zhao kind of like they're quote-unquote working together, but they're both at odds with each other. 
Um, you have the actual battle that's going on. Um, there's a lot of balls uh, juggling in the air here. And what you find out is that Chow's plan is that he's going to destroy the moon. <laughs> Which, in retrospect, is like, I, I just forgot that. That's kind of nuts. <laughs> Again, this is why he would fit in with the current administration. Yeah. Like, it goes yeah, on live television. I think it's time for America to defeat the moon. Well, isn't that a Mr. Show sketch? Oh, yeah. Where they're like, we're going to blow up the moon. Yeah, that's just Admiral Zhao. Like, they're like, well, we, we played golf on the moon. We did all this sort of stuff. Why don't we blow up the moon? <laughs> um, which I, 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 I love that we get more insight into Iroh just being far more reluctant to be part of, like, the onslaught of the Fire Nation. Right? Yeah. Like, he's really just there to help Zuko. He's not invested in winning the battle. But he's also, like, telling him immediately, like, yo, don't fuck with that. That's that's not what anything, like, is about here. Like, you, you, you cannot mess with the natural order of things. Why is that great speech where he... What, I forget what he says, but he's when he's basically like... This is not what Uncle Iroh says, but he's like... He's like... Because the fish are the physical embodiment of the moon spirit right mm-hmm. and uncle Iris basically like i will fuck you up if you fuck with those fish <laughs> he says something more poetic than that but that that is basically what he says yeah <laughs> yeah and then he does fuck with the fish and uncle Iris like kicks like a dozen dudes asses yeah like it's it happens way faster than i remember it happening but it's also like oh, okay this is another weird pull it reminded me of the wild bunch where it's, oh, hey, you know. where it's like in the beginning where like you don't realize how fast stuff is happening until it's over. Yeah. Like that's kind of that. But yeah, I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> Uncle Iroh in the Wild Bunch. Here's something I, I, I genuinely don't remember and I feel like an idiot for not remembering it. Um, but they talk about Uncle Iroh's experience in the spirit realm in the past. Mm-hmm. Do we see that on the show? No. We don't. All right. We do not. It's it's some of the stuff either they couldn't fit in or just left to. That's that's fine because they they talk about because that's why he's able to sense that Ua was touched by the moon spirit as a child. I I thought it was the hair. Well, yeah, but I, I they they say he's got that connection because he also in earlier in that episode he's the only one that's able to see the dragon. Oh yeah, yeah. So I I, I thought it was more something like that. Oh, okay, I mean I I think both reads are viable, you know. Hmm. Um, but yeah, this is this is where Uncle Iroh starts shooting into like the upper echelons of like great characters. Yeah, it's getting it, it's getting better. Um, Ang goes into the Avatar state and turns into like a giant ocean spirit. Oh, wait, 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 we got we got to talk about his adventure into the spirit world because when it's oh, yeah, cl- when it's he... clear that the Water Nation can't hold back this level of like an assault on them. They they could they could keep fighting but they know that they're gonna lose and they don't know how to do it and Aang can't take out every Fire Nation ship although he mentions he took out like a dozen which I'm just like oh he just tosses that out like I'm flashing yeah, back to like all it. those times he tried to impress Katara right and it's mm-hmm. like oh like when he doesn't care about it he's like yeah I just took out a dozen Fire Navy ships it's no big but deal even that's not enough even that's like he, he realized in that moment he, he can't do it yeah and so then he decides or 
him, Yue, and Katara decide to uh, help him venture into the spirit world to talk to the spirits, and hopefully they'll have an answer to defeat the Fire Nation. Then he jokes about the spirits unleashing some crazy spirit to attack the Fire Nation. Everyone's like, that's well, ridiculous. And then that happens. The, the, yeah, we also meet the face stealer. Ko the face stealer. The most horrifying creation this show any version of Avatar has ever concocted. Like, that's a genuinely yeah, that, frightening character. Yeah, that that was a upsetting thing <laughs> yeah. to see. Um, and the, the implication that it's still doing it is a, yeah. is a little uh, <laughs> scary. And I guess this is a... Consider this a spoiler if you want or don't. I don't know. Ko never returns after this, and I've always thought that he should because the... no, it's creepier that he doesn't. Oh, you're glad? Yeah. Well, no, it's no. First of all, like I don't want to ever see him again. Oh, okay. upsetting. But it's he has that ominous thing where he's like, "We'll meet again." But he's saying it not just to he's not saying it to Aang. He's saying it to the Avatar, and it's just that creepy thing of like. He could go, like, 500 years, but he's still going to have to face the face stealer again at some point. Yeah, I know. That's why I would have liked to have seen him in Korra. I don't know. I, I'm cool with just the ominous feeling that he's always out there. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's for the best because it is a genuinely frightening creation. I mean, the little bit of information we get about the other times the Avatar has encountered him is enough, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's like, oh, uh, something, one of your previous lives tried to slay me because I might have taken someone's face that they loved or something like that. And it's like, uh, yeah. uh, what, what? Like, there's enough there's going no on back. in the real world that we do not need to introduce this level of, like, nightmare fuel. But the show yeah. does anyways. <laughs> um, oh, and we it's get a, to see, a... uh, of course, Avatar Roku again. And, um, oh, I forget the, the wood spirit's name. But oh yes, I, I like it. Uh, the little panda bear. Yeah. It's cute. But Aang does turn into a giant spirit monster and and defeats the Fire Nation. And it's like which, which and that was the scene I was um, referencing to Princess Mononoke. Oh yeah, yeah, it's the, straight up that like the same spirit. like color palette and like texture yeah. on the creature too. Although the forest spirit only does that because it loses its head and it's terrifying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Watch Princess Mononoke, everyone. Yeah, great film. Yeah, maybe my favorite of, of Miyazaki's, but it's also the first one, so I have that bias. It's yeah. the first one I saw. So. I can't... I, would, I wouldn't go that far with that one, but... Because mm. um, Spirited Away is, like, a perfect movie. Yeah, he has, like, at least five perfect movies. So. Yeah, but, like, Spirited Away, when I say perfect movie, it's not, like, you know hyperbolic it's like one where i could see that being said as like the greatest film of all time oh okay okay like that's how good spirited away is i respect so, that yeah um but yeah and Ang, we, Ang we, kicks the fire nation's butt but it's we there's forgot, something like uh, deeply sad about it because ang is not a violent character yeah so the fact that he's he's just he's literally the avatar for the spirit it's not flashing a cool out. moment it's not like a fun moment. It's actually very disturbing. Yeah. And it's just like Fire Nation people getting wiped out and uh, um, Admiral Zhao dies. Yeah, it's totally like, um, it reminds me of like Raiders, you know? Yeah. It's a big like... It is very similar to that, yeah. Yeah, like the, the power that he wonder, tried to though, defeat and control is the thing that destroys him. 
Um, I almost wonder though, because Zhao dies. Uh, uh, the princess turns it's like they say explicitly that she dies, and then becomes the moon spirit. Mm-hmm. You know, so like it's not like it's she just ascends. She does in fact die. <laughs> yeah. And uh, a character we kind of brushed over, but her uh, her fiancé from the arranged marriage, um, I think he falls to his death. I, I, I think he also does die, yeah. Uh, we brushed over him because, again, like the weird gender politics, or not even weird, just like reductive gender politics of those other episodes we talked about are kind of at play with him too. But I Well, no, what I... What I actually liked about him is that he, he kind of explicitly says, like, he's marrying her because it'll help him get a better position in the in the tribe. Yeah, so, like, it, it's more... Yeah. It's clearly more aware of it here, you know? It's yeah. not just a thing. And then how immediately he's, uh, him and Sokka get into, like, that, like, masculine, like, fight. machismo fight with each other because, yeah, you know... which isn't a great way to deal with it. it, it but, it's not, but I do like that even uh, a good way, Yue's dad is like, no, I need you here to protect my daughter. And a good a good way to deal with it is that 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 guy literally just dies in the dumbest way possible. Oh, yeah, no, that's terrific. And it <laughs> has no effect on any of the preceding action. Yeah, like, that's... Honestly, that's probably what saves it. But, yeah, but I almost wonder if they got some pushback for this episode. Um, you know, I don't know much out there, but it's... Because there's another episode, without spoiling things for you, I haven't gotten there. There's another episode where someone dies, and it's famous for how, because of the way it was told, no one was really sure if the character died. <laughs> and they they actually had to, like, do, like, work later to be like, no, that person died. <laughs> Whereas here it's like much more explicit, mm-hmm. and part of part of me wonders uh, if maybe they got some pushback for how dark these few episodes got. Maybe, yeah. Was, uh, the the UA death really stuck with me when I first saw it too, because like, oh shit, like that's that that's it. <laughs> like the character is gone now, and I just assumed like that would not be the case. <laughs> And she doesn't come back, really, in any capacity. Oh, no, but she's in every episode after this. I, I know, because the moon's in every episode. Yeah. How sad. No, no, it's, but... it's, that's a joke online, but I'm like, that's sad. <laughs> like, yeah, it is, it is sad. Like, I think in one episode, uh, I don't remember the circumstances, but uh, Sokka's, like, delirious, and he starts talking to the moon. I don't know if that happens. Um, and actually, no, Yue does appear. I will say that. She she does appear again. Okay, you know what though? I don't think this happens. I don't remember what happens to Sokka in between Last Airbender and Legend of Korra. If it's ever explained, it might not be. But he should have been like you know how like if you read the appendices of uh, Lord of the Rings, they say how uh, Legolas and Gimli uh, built a boat together and sailed to the Undying Lands. Gay. Um, in a good they, way. They they yeah yeah. Um, but they should have said, like, Sokka entered the spirit realm or something like that. Aww. I feel like that's something that might happen. That might be too sad for me. I don't want to think no, about I that. Mean, well, no, I mean, like, like you know, is it beautiful? Old. Because then they'd be, yeah. they get to be together again, but, like, also, that's... I don't want to think about sadness like that. Okay. That's a, that's a nicer way to end it, I would think. 
I mean, the Undying Lands suck, but, <laughs> you know. It's like, if you live a long life, it's like, why not? Yeah. I, I would not, not have been, I, I honestly it. wouldn't be against it. I'm just like, oh, that's sad. Like, I'm, I'm not saying you should do it in his, like, early 20s or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, live a whole life, but, you know, maybe. I don't know. It'd be weird if he, you know, to get married, but then the moon is always there. Yeah. <laughs> Which <laughs> is, like, it's not a joke when it happens later for Sokka, because that, that is brought up again. But there's this really great frame between him and a possible romantic interest, and the moon is just dead center. Mm-hmm. And it's really, really good. It's not even, like, funny. It's just like, oh, yeah, that's still there. Like, I don't know. It, it's a very um, tragic, romantic situation that... It, it it reminds you that this is, like, one of the greatest fantasy stories ever told. Yeah, this is, this is a great show. Yeah. Uh, oh, and then it. we should talk about Zuko also, because... Uh, he does a lot in this episode and fails miserably. Yeah, he kidnaps Aang at one point. He kidnaps Aang and yeah. then has no plan to get him out of the North Pole. Yeah. Because he's, like Zhao, is not that smart and thinking ahead. It is weird that Uncle Iroh's just running around with the rest of the gang for, like, the majority of the episode. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Perhaps foreshadowing? Or not really, or just like a possible future if, or a possible world where they could all coexist together and not always be hunting each other and running for their lives together. But who knows? But Uncle Iroh's a war criminal. I mean, he is, but we you know. Can't, we can't forgive that. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> um... But Azuko and Katara face off twice in this episode, and then I like that their rematch. She's just like, "Nope," and like <laughs> smashes him into the earth. Like you it's know, not I, even again, a fight. Like, rewatching, rewatching this, I totally get the Zuko Katara thing. Oh my god, fandom! Like it totally makes sense to me. Are you Zutara now? No, no, I'm not. I don't. I don't support ships. Okay, uh, that always feels presumptuous on my part. Okay, okay. Because I don't know, I don't know Katara or Zuko. I don't want to be. I don't want to be. You don't know their wants and needs. Yeah, you know, like I'm not their friend. I can't be. And even if I was, I wouldn't be like, hey, you know what? Like, let they're adults, not really. No, they're children. They're 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 literal children. But I'm just saying, like the amount of interaction they have together, which I didn't really remember. I can see how a fandom would put two and two together. Mm-hmm. I was pro, like, uh, uh, Raylo, so, you know. Uh-huh. That's if you, if you want to know where I come from sometimes. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Hmm. Interesting. I, I didn't know you were that open about it. Well, it's, I'm pro Raylo if Kylo gets the, the shit smacked out of him a little bit. Yeah, yeah, you know. Because that, that boy needed to get the shit smacked out of him. A lot more than he got. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's all. Maybe lose a hand or something. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Which is the thing that you feel like even J.J. Abrams would remember to do something like that. Yeah. In a series. That he restarted. Uh, but whatever. Yeah. Although, if you know, like, I probably would have been really, like, upset if Ray lost a limb or something. I understand maybe why they didn't want to do it. No, no, no. Kylo losing a limb. <laughs> 
I know, but you know, Ray's the protagonist, so there's a there's a good enough chance it happened to Luke. Oh yeah, yeah, that's true. So, uh, see, she can't be a Skywalker until she loses a hand. <laughs> it's the rite of passage. That, that's the end. That's what should have been the end of the movie. She looks off in the distance and then uses her new lightsaber to cut off her own hand. <laughs> and then she's and like, her says, last line of dialogue. That's better. Yeah, Ray Skywalker. And then she collapses in pain. <laughs> As a metaphor for the audience watching <laughs> the Rise of Skywalker. Boo. <laughs> Anyways, I, I wanted to bring up the, the last fight between Admiral Zhao and Zuko because even though Zuko's clearly trying to, like, kill him there, too, um, when, when the spirits start to take Zhao, Zuko, without hesitating, tells him to take his hand so he can try to save him. And then Zhao just accepts his fate. And that's like the most mature thing both of them have ever done in their entire lives for each other. Well, it's also like that sign that like Zuko really, it's its entirely possible Zuko could become like him, you know? Mm-hmm. He is just as emotionally turbulent as Zhao was. Um, so... Because, I mean, it, where, where his character goes without giving things away... It's like he's a very emotional person and makes a lot of emotional decisions. Mm-hmm. And it's also that thing where it's like, again, we'll get into it more as we get ahead, but it was like Zuko's an emotional character. A lot of what drives firebending is emotion, but he was treated like such shit because of his emotions. <laughs> you know? I can't imagine the effect that that would have on a person. Yeah, you know. Well, it's like, you know, the kid who, like, he, he was a sensitive kid and he grows up to be a bully because everyone bullied him for being so sensitive. Mm-hmm. You know? I've seen it happen to people and it's very upsetting. Yeah. And that's that's pretty much the it, it for the Northern Water well, we get, Tribe. Did you want to... We get a teaser at the very end. Well, I was gonna I was going to work it out. I was just going to say Sokka okay. and, and uh, UA's father spend the last moment together looking up at the moon and he says that he's so proud of her but you know also so sad because like yeah I well, we lost her really, daughter we should take this moment to focus on what's important about a princess sacrificing herself to become the moon spirit which is how the two men in her life feel <laughs> that's not the greatest message I agree <laughs> yeah you know <laughs> but uh hey yeah also, she I had a mom, episode, but we never I see mean, the mom. It, they, she, I thought she died. Ah, whatever. No, no. Like, All the moms die in fantasy. That's a thing. There's a lot of there's a lot of dead moms in this show. Yeah, <laughs> it's not a lot not of not the best moms. track record. No. Hold on, wait a minute. I got a que- I got a question. Here's something I genuinely don't remember. Uh, who were Ang's parents? Do we ever find that out? No, we do not. Okay. He doesn't even talk about him. Yeah, because I, I guess the the monks and the air nomads they just they they, yeah, they abandon all earthly a, attachments, right? Yeah, they they don't seem to have a concept of family. Yeah, I think they just kind of like share each other, like mm-hmm. which is fine. Yeah, yeah, that, it's um, it's a different approach, and like I would have liked to have explored more of that, but you, it, it is difficult given the structure of this show for sure. <laughs> you know, as Hillary Clinton said, no, it takes a village. Are you proud of that? Nope. Yeah, I didn't think so. It takes a temple of air nomads to raise an avatar baby. 
That's why they killed all the air nomads. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the gang regroup. You realize, you know the amount of crazy conspiracy shit that the Fire Nation must have spread around about the air temple, the air nomads, in order to justify their genocide. I don't want to think about it. It's too real. It was like, it was like Pizza Gate, like times a million. <laughs> air Bison Gate. Yeah, you know exactly. It's like they're using the bison to traffic children. That's horrible. And you know, if a group that like, if the especially if it's a group that rejects the idea of family, you know, there's a lot of talk going on in the other nations. Oh God! I'm just saying that's what happens. In this episode is sad enough. I don't need to life. be brought back to reality. I'm feeling pretty good. <laughs> uh, the gang is ready to head off. To further adventures, and Master Paku gives his blessing to Katara, who is now uh, officially a waterbending master, because she's just, like, the best ever. And um, mm-hmm. and now she can teach Aang on their journeys as he goes to look for his earthbending master. Which, I, I don't know, I think it's nice, even though Master Paku was a horrible sexist an episode ago. <laughs> Yeah, although I think uh, they don't leave until the start of the next season. Well, they, they travel together for a little bit, and then... Because Master Paku's heading back to the Southern Water Tribe to help rebuild oh, yeah. them, because they've they've been too separate for too long, and it, it's just a line of dialogue in this episode, but I think it's such a beautiful, like, idea that Aang is really starting to reconnect the world now, like... Yeah, it, it's not it's not a big moment, and no one says it, but that's what's happening. And I'm like, oh wow, like that's that's pretty cool. They it's storytelling without saying anything. It's almost like I don't know. I just everything's so overexplained nowadays that it's nice when something can just sit like that. The world without borders. Oh, is that also is Azula that a joke? shows up? <laughs> Azula shows up. Azula does show up at the end without dialogue, but uh, her father, the Fire Lord, tells her that he has a task for her because Uncle Iroh is a failure and Zuko is a traitor. Can't imagine what they're up to, those kooky Fire Nation soldiers. <laughs> they kind of have a kooky adventure in the next season. <laughs> they kind of do. <laughs> A lot of kookiness. Next season's pretty dark, but, like, they have, like, the kooky stuff happening. You say that, but then I just remembered a certain episode that is not kooky. I know, I know that episode. Yeah, but that episode fucks with you because it starts out like a kooky episode. <laughs> and it's like, oh, nope, you fucking idiot. <laughs> Leave from the vine. No. <laughs> and that's not even the episode I was referring to. Okay. Yeah, no, there's a there's an episode about one character only that is uh not kooky at all. And in fact, it's about kind of a western, but we'll we'll get there. We'll get there. So that's that's like it for western. book 1 of Avatar the Last Airbender. We did it. Yes it is. We did it. We finished the first book. Woo. Time to close the book. But when you close one book, you open another. Yeah, book 2 Earth coming up next week, baby. We should keep talking about the gender it's politics in this show because I saw someone tweeting out that they don't want this to get the Harry Potter treatment. And, like, I think that might be a little overreaching in terms of, like, concern. But also I kind of get it and kind of agree. 
You mean like the weight where we use it as a metaphor for everything happening in our society right now? Yeah, like we're talking about a lot of real world politics and stuff, like in the text of the show because it's there. But you know, it is also fiction, and is important to not hold it up to like some pedestal of perfection when discussing real world things, and maybe just talk about real that, world problems away from absolutely. the show. Absolutely, but I think one thing that's become abundantly clear about Harry Potter in retrospect is that if you try to make real-world analogs, all it does is expose either A, how little you understand what's going on in the world, or B, that the ideas that went on in Harry Potter were actually kind of underdeveloped a lot of the time. Also that, too. Which, thankfully, I'm happy to say, The Last Airbender uh, mostly has developed things like like 90 percent of the time we're not really running into any problems with that stuff so that's pretty cool yeah and even when we run into problems it's always like it's never like it's really like oh like fuck this up it's more like this could be better yeah which i think is what you want out of art especially art you like mm-hmm. you always want to look at it and go like how could this be better yeah because even though like we were criticizing the, the some of the stuff in this first season um it's like that's that's okay. I still love it so much. Like if you really love something, you won't you won't uh, expect perfection out of it. You know, you you can criticize it a little or a lot. You know, it's not don't 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 have idols. I guess is what I'm saying. Don't worship blindly. Can I- Can I give a special shout-out to episode director Lauren McMullen? Yes. Who she directed the first half of the final two episodes and other episodes in the season. And I want to give her a shout-out because she directed the episode of The Critic that had uh, Siskel and Ebert on it. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Oh, and she also, this is, I, I just found this out, she directed the Oscar-nominated animated short film Get a Horse, which was that Mickey Mouse cartoon, which was like the first Mickey Mouse short they did in like a decade or something. Oh, okay. I didn't see that one. She also worked on the canceled Pixar film Newt. Aww. Um, it doesn't say if she was a director... But, uh, hey, maybe we should look a little into the Pixar history and look at the amount of times a woman was going to direct a Pixar film and then the film either got canceled or they got fired. Hmm. I think it's, I think hmm. it's time we reevaluated some of that. Hmm. Also, she worked on Mission Hill, which is an underrated show. Which show? Mission Hill. Oh, I never saw it. It was like, I think it had like eight episodes. Oh, okay. Um, but it, I'm actually glad you, a, you shouted her out, uh, as you know, we always talk about Dave Filoni and stuff like that, and this is the only season he worked on the show before going off to do Clone Wars. So, you know, bit of do to him. Uh, but Lauren McMullen comes back for some, like, straight-up A-plus work next season. Yeah, I think she st- she hangs in through season two, and then I think she leaves. Yeah, yeah. she's. I don't think there's any women directors on season three. Like, I was looking through it right now, which... Hmm. hmm but... <laughs> That's a bummer. Hmm. Yeah, there's a lot. That's always that that thing that like always kills whenever like it always holds me back from being like going like full in like praising a show for its like forward thinkingness or whatever. Because mm-hmm. it's like if you look up behind the scenes, it's like always just like dudes. Yeah, and like, I mean you know like we we haven't really talked about it, but 
most of the voice actors in the show are still white. Yeah. And it's a predominantly a like Asian cast of fictional characters. And it's a problem that will continue in The Legend of Korra. Yeah. As much as I love, like, pretty much the entire voice cast of Legend of Korra, it's still like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. And I mean, like, you know, like, I love Kubo and but the Two Strings. Something... Like, with all my heart. Yeah. That's, like, top five movies of the 2010s decade for me. But it also voice stars a bunch of white people. <laughs> and George Takei for two seconds. And, yep, and, oh, he they sure they made sure to highlight that in the trailer, that George Takei was in it. Yeah, even though I think his character doesn't have a name. Yeah, it's like villager number two or something. Yeah. I mean, but that was a weird thing where it, that hung in in voice acting for, like, a long time. Like, that is that is something in voice acting that just wasn't questioned for the longest time. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I think Kubo was, like, the first time I really remember a conversation like that happening. Yeah. And like, it's like, there's a documentary. It's, there's a docu- it's definitely an important conversation to have, and I'm, I'm glad that more people are having it now. But there's a documentary out there um, about voice acting. I think it was done by, uh, oh, who's the guy who voices Bender? I don't know. Um, I'm, I've never been John crazy DiMaggio. about Futurama. I'm sorry. Oh, oh fuck you. All right. um, John, I think his name is John DiMaggio or something oh, like yeah, that. Oh, yeah, yeah. I love John DiMaggio. Yeah. He directed the episode, and there's, like, a part in it where they talk about people voicing people of different races, and it's kind of like, they, they, they don't really say anything. They kind of just say, like, oh, it's not a big deal in the voice acting community. It's a, weir- it's a weird part of that documentary, an otherwise very good documentary. Because, mm. like, John DiMaggio does, like, a good uh, Tracy Morgan impression. And Barry White. But he is a white man. Yeah, so, so it gets you know, odd very fast. It's something that yeah, it gets it gets a little odd. Well, you ever heard those Barry White outtakes? No. <laughs> These are the, the, this should replace the Orson Welles one. They should be as popular. Where he's trying to read like a uh, an advertisement for some like performance he's giving, and he just keeps like he's like. This fucking script's all fucked up. <laughs> Starts yelling at people. It's pretty great. Because <laughs> he's, like, doing the Barry White thing where he's got, like, the smooth voice. And then, like, he'll fuck up and he'll just be like, shit! <laughs> <laughs> it's great. But, yeah, Last last Airbender. <laughs> that had nothing to do with Last Airbender. No, I'll probably cut the, the, the later talk, but not about the voice acting. That's important. What if Orson... What if Orson had voiced the Fire Lord? No, Zula. Iroh's failure. Or treacherous Iroh. My brother Zuko is a traitor. Firebending has always been celebrated for its excellence. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's the world I want to live in. Or Avatar Roku. He should have been Avatar Roku. Oh, fuck. That would have been amazing. Just, just getting drunk in the spirit realm. <laughs> <laughs> That's what the show needs. I don't need it to pander to, like, adults or anything like that. But if they move the animated stuff to Netflix, too, you know, in a perfect world, do they continue it? Like, that's kind of what I want to see. <laughs> just, like, one episode where, like, they deal with, like, a drunk bender. 
Well, what if like the, the is the spirit gets so drunk it starts affecting the present day avatar? <laughs> it's like it's it's so drunk there there's ripple effects <laughs> through generations of avatars. Oh my god. I'd pay to see that. That'd be interesting. Yeah. So that's it. Book Last one. Last Airbender. Last Airbender. Book one. Water. We'll be back next week with the next five episodes of book two. The Avatar State. The Cave of Two Lovers. Return to Omashu. The Swamp. And Avatar Day. Two Lauren Hooray. McMullen episodes, by the way, in there. So... For some reason, I remembered Avatar Day as being an episode in the first season. I did too. So I was like, uh, I was like waiting for it, and then it didn't happen. Mm -hmm. So we'll see how I feel about that episode it's, it's, this time around. It's kind of a sequel to the Kyoshi Warriors, so yeah, we'll see. But we'll see if it can hold up. Yeah, but to the episode I seem to bring up. Every time is like, here's how you write an episode of the show. <laughs> well, Matt, where can the people find you? I'm at EmperorOTN1 at Twitter.com. Preaching the good word of Warriors of Kiyoshi, apparently. Oh, yeah. And you can find me at the Diego Crespo on Twitter. Check out the Waffle Press on Twitter, YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, and Patreon, where you can get access to these episodes early. And, and other stuff, too. We're doing other recordings on the Hangouts. We're talking about other movies we've seen recently in quarantine because that's definitely going to be continuing while we're we're uploading these. But, what are you uh, talking about? We're reopening America. Yeah. Um, we'll probably uh, talk about... Baseball's back. What? <laughs> baseball's back. It, 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 won't, it won't stay back. You know that, right? Yeah. Did you see the Fanatic was doing the wave by himself, I, the Philly Fanatic? Oh, no. Although he's, I, he's still doing it. I do love that they just put cardboard cutouts in the stands. Like I, I sincerely yeah. love that. <laughs> That's so for great. Some reason, for some reason, gritty was on top of the the stadium. <laughs> I'm not even going to question it. That's just like they were just re they were just releasing videos of him on the roof. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really know why. We've been professionally unprofessional. <laughs> Bye. God bless Gritty. <laughs> <laughs>